0: Being a woman can be super tough. And it gets extremely difficult when you're forced to hear a hundred opinions every day from people who play no role in your life whatsoever, telling you what to do, how to behave, how to sit, what to wear, what to eat. And what's worse is sometimes we do this to ourselves. We become our own enemies. I mean, of course, when there are a hundred magazines dictating our fashion styles, our hair trends, our skin, our makeup, and telling us what's beautiful and what's not, at some point we give in. We are trapped by the society's expectations and then everything we do from that point onwards is to just please a bunch of nobodies we call the society. And over the past couple decades, India saw the ascent of a new industry that feeds off of these oppressive expectations dictated by the fashion industry and the patriarchy. The wedding industry. The Indian wedding industry is valued at 50 billion dollars and that is over 36,000 crores. and. Just for this particular day, we're expected to make a hundred choices, all to just elevate our social status. And in this process, we put the bride for so much pressure because apparently that is her big day and everything needs to be perfect. And yeah, what's with that? Her wedding day need not be her big day. And honestly, it sometimes isn't. And in this process, we splurge. We make some not so sustainable choices. And do we even pause for a second and think if that money can be put to a better use? When I'd been mulling over these thoughts, here is one Sanjana Rishi who broke the internet recently with her inspiring wardrobe choices for her own wedding. Sanjana Rishi is a corporate lawyer based out of California who worked at Kirkland and Ellis upon graduation from UC Irvine and just recently moved to India. And what was so inspiring about her wedding, you ask? Her choice of clothing. She wore a beautiful pre-owned blue pantsuit to her wedding and paired it with a corset that she borrowed from her best friend's mom that had been hand-dyed just the night before wedding. Her earrings were borrowed from friends and other jewelry were made by local artisans. And in all, she remained true to her commitment to ethical shopping and sustainability. And now she's also embarking on her new venture, a clothing line that pledges to offer sustainable and ethical fashion without burning a hole in the pocket of an average Indian consumer. We're going to talk about all of this and more in episode 8 of the Audacity Project. This is Shweta Meenal and I have with me our social media manager Shubhangi Kundilwal who is a penultimate year law student at OP Jindal Global University and who also turns out to be Sanjana's biggest fan to co-host this episode with me. You're listening to the Audacity Project in conversation with Sanjana Rishi. Let's dive right in.
1: Sanjana, I'm so excited to do this today. Also, congrats on your wedding. You looked stunning. Before we talk about your outfit and all that it stands for, can you quickly
2: introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. So, my name is Sanjana Rishi. I um, was born in Delhi and then kind of grew up everywhere over the world. So, um, I moved to New York and then I moved to London and then I moved uh, to California and then I went to law school. Um so I have had many lives before this one already. Um but uh last year actually I moved back to India after 16 years away. And um I was a practicing corporate lawyer in America and when I moved back they actually told me that because of whatever bureaucracy here in India you actually I cannot practice law here unless I go back and get my LLB. So, and I, you know, I do not want to do that. So I essentially just, I'm doing a bunch of other, you know, consulting work and projects here in India. Now. Um, I obviously love shopping and I love, I do love clothes and, you know, it's, it's a much larger problem with consumerism in the world. But um, I think that there is a way now for us to try and be a little bit more ethical with the choices that we make and, you know there was a time where the options weren't available to do to make better choices but now i feel like especially in india there's a lot of local small up and coming brands and companies that are working on sustainability and not just the word sustainability but actually sort of embodying that in a holistic way so i'm just trying to learn more about that consult more on that subject and just really do research because i think that's such an important part of life that people really overlook especially here is Diving very deeply into a subject, so that's who I am. Uh, I didn't think that my outfit was going to cause quite the uproar that it did. Uh, I mean, I'm thrilled. It's great. I'm, I'm glad that people are appreciating my outfit, but at the same time, I think I've you know I've said this on my Instagram before: is I think it's a huge privilege in this country to be able to not even have to think twice about what you wear, and I am very very lucky to hold that privilege. Um, and to have parents that haven't, you know, been able to tell me what to wear since I was 12. Yeah. So, um, and obviously a husband who wouldn't care either. So, Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right, Sanjay. absolutely. But at this point, I can't help but wonder how um, we're in 2020 and to be able to make a choice that just concerns your own body, there are like a list of people that a woman needs to thank, yeah. her boyfriend, her husband, her friends, her family, her society. And um, when it comes to men, when they yeah. need to make a choice that concerns just themselves or every morning when they wake up and they have to put on a piece of clothing, there's not much thought that goes into it. There's They, they don't sit and think, how will I be received um, if I were to wear a particular piece of just on my body um, and I think when it comes to the empowerment of the self we have a long way to go and that's just very unfortunate because um, there are so many consequences that attach to a woman being able to exercise her decisional autonomy or being able to own her sense of agency And having said that, um, what is also super inspiring, Sanjana, is your commitment to ethical and sustainable fashion and lifestyle. And the fact that you went from a lawyer practicing in California to someone who's committed herself, who's just immersed herself to this important cause, um, is inspiring. I love how you're making the best out of the situation and you're owning it. Um, but like you, I mean, thanks for pointing it out because in the Indian market, most consumers aren't aware of the importance of ethical or sustainable choices. And most of us are still grappling with these terms thrown at us because it's very confusing. And as a conscientious consumer, um, wanting to make sure that your money goes in the right products, I mean, there are there are so many choices and every brand claims to do a certain thing. And you're like, oh, yeah. I want to support the local artisans. Oh, I want to help the environment. I want to help go green. Um, I yeah. mean, and I want to know what goes behind the scenes is everyone in the labor chain being treated right um is the manufacturing process ethical there are so many things and most of us are still trying to understand it all um and i want to talk about this in detail but to start with please please walk us through our wardrobe choices for your wedding and tell us how you planned it all tell us about your commitment to sustainable fashion a little more detail (laughs) and tell us how it all started
2: okay so um you know, like most, I guess, brides in 2020, this was not really my ideal wedding plan. Although I'm not complaining at all, because ultimately it ended up being everything for me that I had originally wanted in the actual, um, like, shadi of it all. Which is to say, I was happy that it was just my family. That is actually how I always pictured it. And so in that sense, it worked. Obviously, my brother wasn't here, my husband's sister wasn't here. We would have loved for them to be here as well. Still in my mind, I don't know. I guess I didn't really think about it that much. I'm very like. You know, it's really easy to go back after the fact and say, like, oh, I probably was influenced by this thing or that thing or this, you know. But the reality is that in the moment I wanted to wear a suit, I knew I wanted it to be pre-owned because that's very important to me. If I I was spending any money on anything for my outfit, I wanted it to be ethical. Um, And I wanted it to be that way irrespective of the scale of the wedding. But it just kind of made it easier that it was such an intimate wedding that I didn't feel like, you know, like... Everyone's like, oh, but you don't understand the value of a lenga, and i and I do. I love Indian clothes as much as the next girl. I wore a sari to my prom, you know. It's not that I don't appreciate that. It's just, you know, maybe a 10 kg Savio Sachi lenga would have been in any event out of place in my husband's backyard with 10 people. Because I was like focused on having a good time, but I will tell you that pantsuit was tight. Like my, the trousers, I had to, I mean, I'm not proud of this and I'm sure I'll get a lot of flack for it, but I had to unzip my pants a little bit at the Mandav girl because I could not sit down properly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we all do that. eh? (laughs) Right, you have to. And I just wanted to be, I mean, it was fine, but I wanted to be comfortable. And then afterwards, I definitely wanted to take those trousers off. So um, I just kept on the same um, corset took off my jacket and put on like some old uh, gharara pants that I had lying around and I mean the day of my wedding I'm telling you I woke up my makeup artist showed up to the to our apartment at 9am at the wedding was at noon at 10:45, my husband my then fiance wakes up gets up is drinking his coffee while the makeup artist is like going crazy like hanging out chatting you know and then like At like 11, he left the house to go to his parents' house. So it was like very chill vibe. that's like just so perfect, (laughs) Sanjana. And at this
0: point, I just really want to talk about something. Um, so, you know, how, when you said how the day was very chill yeah. and even the makeup artist showed up at nine and you guys were chatting away and doing your makeup. Yeah. And even in your Instagram pictures, when I was scrolling through them, what really stood out for me was your minimalistic makeup and your jewelry. And honestly, it was so empowering to see someone um, just make choices that please themselves and not for the rest of the society, which is ideally how um, I wish women would behave But then the general pressure surrounding being a bride and especially around weddings is just super high. And that's what I want to talk about right now. And especially with all the makeup services, the body shaping services, um, in all the pre bridal packages that is being offered that shapes the general expectations around how a woman must look, it just keeps becoming worse in the current times. And, um, I want to talk about that. So this is how we'll proceed. I'm going to read a list of services offered by the beauty industry to a woman and then I'm going to contrast it with that a man is supposed to take, just to shush haters who would say, men also have grooming services, don't be dramatic, right? Um, So what I've done is I've picked out this entity called VLCC Services, just because they have their offices all over their country, and everybody would know what I'm talking about. Um, So here goes. Um, What they do is they offer bridal packages starting from seven grand, and then it goes up to 21 grand. For 21 grand, they offer eyebrows, upper lip, waxing, full body diamond bleach, yeah, full body polish, manicure, pedicure, hair spa, style change. Yeah. And they also offer something called a white neurologist, um, which I am not sure what it is, but I'm pretty sure it is something that promises a lightening of the skin. Literally telling us all of us, the brown-skinned people, that we're just not good enough, which is so racist and which is so damaging. And even the cheapest bridal packages, which is offered for like seven grand, still contains bleaching and other crap. Um, And when you type bridal service on the internet, there are like hundred articles popping up with the title, um, pre-bridal diet for weight loss. Looks sexy for him on your special night. I mean, of course it is one thing wanting to look sexy for your partner but it's another thing having to look sexy because of the general expectations which honestly unfortunately sometimes also shapes men's expectations of their partners right yeah. um but for men the costliest available on their pages for like 2199 and there's a haircut hair wash shave a pedicure and a de tanning no bleach But detanning, telling men that there's absolutely nothing wrong with their skin color, but it's just the women who have to take up a hundred different kinds of services just to feel validated, right? And by this, my intention is not to shame people that go for these packages because it is definitely nice to stay groomed and we all love it. I enjoy it. I love a good makeup. I love it, you know, um, when I look good in the clothes that I wear. I love all that. Um, But the point is, the problem is at a certain point, it stops being about having fun, and it starts to put us down, and we feel inadequate. It's not fun anymore. We're not enjoying this process of getting ready, or looking good. And it's no longer, do I look attractive? Do I feel good? It is, do I look attractive enough? And there's comparison, there's pressure. And we're doing it only because we need to fit a certain mold. And that, to me, is a cruel, cruel form of oppression. And men don't go through most of this crap, so um, they probably cannot empathize. And some men go to the extent of pointing out the flaws in their women, um, which is just so cruel. So I just wanted to ask if you've ever felt the pressure at some point um, during the wedding process or so, just generally right now. Yeah,
2: so we spoke about this earlier where we were like, oh, why do we have to speak? You know, why does it have to be, oh, thanks to my parents and thanks to my husband or whatever. But Sadly, you know, what you're talking about unraveling isn't unique to your wedding experience, right? It's like aging, anything when it has to do with beauty and women is just these expectations thrown at women that we may not even be conscious of. So, for example, yesterday I was um, with some guys and my husband is 33. So he was like, oh, you know, but I don't look 33. I look like 30. And I was like, it literally makes no difference. And I was like, also, <laughs> yeah. between the age of 30 and 40, men grow and become silver foxes. Yeah, In bet- From 30 to 40, women rot, okay? In the eyes of society, women rot. Oh my God, yeah. And I think that's one, ridiculous. And two, they were like, no, no, we men age too. Men have aging. You know, you know, you have to look a certain way. And I was like, okay, let me just... And this is like a very simple way that I have been able to speak to men about this because men are also like, no, uh, defensive, always defensive. I was like, okay... So tell me, at what age would you realistically think about getting Botox? And they were, like, really taken aback by the question, you know? They were like, what do you mean, no age? What are you talking about? And I was like, if I asked, let me say, let me think of 10 girls in my head. If I said, oh, what age would you realistically consider getting Botox? I don't think a single one of them would be like, what a ridiculous question. No way you know yeah, yeah and, totally totally dude even for me I'm like there's oh at this age I'll start seriously thinking about it and I think every woman obviously has a right to make yeah, that choice for course, herself. but the reality is that there the pressure on women is so intense hmm. but it's so normal that yeah. we don't even think like you, you would never take this time to parse those two things out and be like oh this is the pressure on men this yeah. is the pressure on women yeah, yeah yeah it's just considered different for women you know but going back to my bridal look I think because the outfit itself was so, like for example, I went to, um, I initially, you know, it wasn't an outfit; it was just a suit, and I had just worn it as like a picture, like a so I could take it when I was, you know, sourcing other stuff. And I went to a very, very big, important, uh designer bridal warehouse, and I was like, you know, I wanted dupatta that matches this. And the lady there was like this simple thing. She was like, "Bazaar me chale jaao, se kuch khareed lo." And I mean, she was actually being sweet to me because I have patronized that store before. And she was like, you know, it's going to be 70, 80 K for you to get a dupatta here. Why would you do that with such a simple suit? Which also, I mean, let's not get into how insanely costly bridal things have to be. I mean, and that's normal. That's like it was and it was a normal like net dupatta. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I mean, it is getting pretty crazy how much people spend on these, and how and it becomes, like you said, it becomes the expectation. And so again, going back to what we were talking about, you know, having family that supports you, having a husband that supports you. I wish we didn't have to seek that validation, but have, but being able to have a support system that kind of enables you to come away from the pressure of society, like, and in a way that I didn't even notice that I didn't that I wasn't succumbing to some kind of pressure because I feel so insulated and protected by my family who supports the choices that i as a woman make to express myself to be myself you know to do whatever and so i think really i can't really fault women for falling prey to those kinds of things but i do but i do fault mothers and families for ever making it seem like there's a pressure to be fairer you know skinnier or whatever because you are who you are and that should be enough and i well, I mean, maybe not in India so much, but I think that your husband will think that you are enough. And if he doesn't, he's out. And I don't think my fiat my husband had. My, I don't think my husband had any <laughs> real feeling one way or another about the way that I dressed or the way that I looked. It wasn't really something that we discussed, other than obviously me like requiring him to tell me I look good every five minutes. Although I myself was walking around like I'm a model. I'm Linda Evangelista. Don't worry about me. So. Yeah, I mean, I just I felt good about myself and um you know, the makeup artist who is a you know, a fairly large name in in bridal makeup artistry. Um it was a it was a challenge for her, I would say, because I was like, you know, you have to tone it down, you have to like I didn't want to wear any eyeliner and for her that was like, it's your wedding, you know. <laughs> yeah. Get a grip.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Um yeah. I mean, Even when I looked at your Instagram, uh, like I said, one of the first things I noticed was uh, the minimal makeup, right? The nude lip, and nothing, you know, too bright, nothing over the top. um, And uh, you were just being yourself and so comfortably at that. And the fact that you didn't give in to a certain pressure
2: that is dictated by the industry, to me, was just, I mean, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, like wearing super dark and super heavy makeup with that outfit just wouldn't have looked good. Um I wanted to look like very light, you know, bright, dewy. Also it was like 40 degrees that day. So it, if there was dark makeup it would be dripping down my face. Yeah. And I am really happy with how the whole look turned out and you know props to just meet like she really pulled it together and was very receptive when I was like no take it down, take it down, take it down because for her in her mind that was already super minimal um but like you know she didn't use foundation she didn't put lashes so for her it was very strange I suppose but you know I think you should just (laughs) yeah dress the way that and you want and your makeup should complement that and nothing more and nothing less so yeah beautiful
0: beautiful well said Sanjana well said well said I think I really want to ask you something here. So
1: the pop culture and the society in India has placed such an immense burden on the people who are getting married. Like you have to have like this grand extravagant affair where even if you want it or not you're doing certain things just to sort yeah. of maintain your status social status and giving your socio-economic class anyone can figure out that you can have all of those things but you still chose to have such a small affair yeah. and I mean I just want to understand how did you make that
2: decision yeah I I was I, I was telling my mom so I mean, I will say uh, everything that I am and everything that's coming through to you in terms of my views towards equality, women, humans, everything is a product of my mom. And she is just phenomenal. So her and I were joking, we were talking about this privilege thing. And I was like, you know, if I was in America, I would probably be like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant man. Like that's my level of privilege in this country. And you have to be able to recognize that. But yeah, I mean, I'm still not going to say that next year we're not going to have some extravagant party, and I'm not going to throw any judgment or any shade at people who choose to have big weddings. That's fine. That's totally your thing. You have the money. It's your decision. What I am just against is the pressure to do that. If you don't want to do that, you shouldn't have to do that, right? And so I guess, yeah, I mean, no judgment, have your big wedding, do whatever, but don't look down on other people absolutely or say that I'm not a cultural bride or that I'm not a basic bride because I didn't wear a lenga you know, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. No, no, you're absolutely
0: right. So Sanjana, I want to, I mean, at this point, I want to quickly go back to what you said a minute ago about how. Um, your wedding look is not something that you discuss with your partner and to him it just didn't matter how you looked and that's beautiful right and that's also the yeah. truth in most cases because to most of our partner, partners um, it doesn't matter how we look so um, it takes me to the other facet of oppression which is that um, it is something we do to ourselves the pressure the societal standards the, the the need to fit a certain mold or to look a certain way is something that we bring upon ourselves and um, to To put it this way, there's a certain competition, if I may put it that way, right, that exists um, amongst the women as to who looks the best. And the sad part is that we all want to win that competition. And that's what's sad, Um, because I've personally done that, too. And um, I've sought validation from a person or two. And uh, I mean... There's no point throwing shit at anyone, but exactly. I think it's really important that we acknowledge uh what we're really doing is we're looking we're using someone else's appearance or someone else's outfit or all these inconsequential attributes about them as the tool of intimidation to intimidate ourselves and intimidate the rest. And uh that's that's just cruel, that's sad. And having said this, I personally absolutely loved how you said um that everything that you are currently is um because who your mom is and that yeah. that is true because empowerment of the self comes from and it starts from the family it, it starts from how the family treats the child and um, I mean for, for myself or like for Shivangi yeah. for every other empowered woman that I personally know it, it really starts from a mom a mom is the first female figure that we all grew up with. Sure. and um, you know uh, there are these certain attributes about her that we pick up her individualism her independence and all these things that we start to you know like mimic and grow into the person that we are so it's very very important that we have a strong female figure and you know a very independent uh, female figure in the family and that's true
2: but that also Um, sucks because it means that the pressure is on moms
0: then to really oh yes well that's that's a whole another debate but you're
2: right the pressure on the mothers right i mean it's it's true i mean but it is true i I think like that is where the change has to come in this country We can have a million empowered women who feel empowered within themselves but if they don't have a structure within which they can feel good about themselves then oh yes it doesn't mean anything and I would love for society to suddenly change and accept women but you know that change begins at home. Oh yeah so, and, I, and I love how you said
0: a structure within which to feel good.
2: Yeah every you know every parent and every every house that has a girl in it should be aware that they need to take that extra step in order to make sure that that girl is living her best life I would say because otherwise you can really easily fall prey to the expectations of society anywhere in the world But particularly in India.
0: Well said. Totally agree.
1: And I mean, women are still acting as double agents of patriarchy. Which is why it's honestly so beautiful that your mother was your biggest support and role model, as you've just said. So before moving on to our next question, I would like to give our listeners a little bit of a background. So now when she posted the pictures from her wedding on Instagram, it blew up. And a lot of news outlets like Scoop Poop, Indian Express, and all of these big names picked up that one picture and used it on their editorial, calling it the Corona Bride or the Modern Bride and things like that. (laughs) Now, of course, it being the internet, people were divided and it was not really received that well by some people. And I mean, the way, like, Sanjana got a lot of hate for all of that. And Sanjana, while my question primarily is how did you not let those hate comments get to you. I just want to say like, women are always expected to behave in a certain way, right? And especially on their wedding, like you're supposed to walk a certain way. You should be shy. You should be doing all of these things, but you did not let like yourself be tied to all of that. You were carefree. You were having fun at your wedding. From At least that's what it looked like from all the videos. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask you, how did you, like, manage all of that and yeah. not let any of those hate comments get yeah. to you?
2: Um, I guess, so, starting off, I just, I'm, you know, I'm not a personalityist, I mean, I have a personality and it's great, but, like, I'm not a, I'm not some kind of famous person. So, it was very strange. I remember the first comment that I got, I was like, what? Like, this doesn't even make any sense, how stupid. And, um, you know, I did respond to that one and I have responded to a few, but. The you know, one as it started getting to the point where it was picked up by so many different outlets and stuff and they were reposting it on their Instagram, that's where the real like horrible comments were where people were like, Oh, you know, if you can't um, if you can't expose our culture, at least Badnam to karo, please go and die. And I'm like, We live in a country where people will come on social media and tell you to go kill yourself and then they will blame Deepika Padukone for smoking a joint and somehow that has to do with your like stop bullying people stop making people's lives so miserable like i mean like even if you look at the kind of attention that the Sushant Singh Rajput case is getting it's like this is the problem the problem is that he had to live his life under this intense magnifying lens and you put expectations on people in bollywood not in bollywood in weddings and this is what happens you force people to fit a mold and when they don't fit that mold you give them hate for it and when did we become these people you know and that's why i think it's important for me to repost the hateful comments that i'm seeing because i want people to know like when did our culture fall to this kind of thing also like when you talk about western culture versus indian culture just to, i mean first of all the whole thing is bizarre because people are like feminism ke naam ke kuch kar and For me, I'm like this, I really, and the other thing that kind of irritates me is the way that uh, outlets have kind of editorialized my look because they'll say things like, oh, bride breaks stereotypes and ditches the lenga." Like, no, it's not like I went and burned my lenga, bro. Like it was nothing like that. It's just a choice that I felt I could make, you know? So when people are like, oh, it's like brave or bold, I'm like, I didn't really think so. And again, like I said, that's because I'm privileged, privileged enough not to have, those pressures constantly weighing in my mind as a bride, right? So, I mean, there's a a lot to unpack here. But I guess, you know, again, like, it depends on my mood, dude. My husband, a lot of my friends are like, why do you even respond to these comments? Like, you're, you know, that's what they want. They want to engage. And I think it's a lot easier said than done to just stand idly by while people post vitriol about you on your Instagram page and then expect it to be okay just because it's a public forum. I walk outside on a daily basis. Do you walk around going up to people and being like, go die, go die, yeah. go just because
0: you're? Yeah, oh my like, God. It is so easy for someone to just bask in the anonymity of the internet or behind yeah. the screens and spread hate everywhere. And in India, people would just jump with the first chance to like mind someone else's business. And because cyberbullying is not something that's taken seriously at all
2: in India, yeah. it's not even defined in the acts. And it's, it, it's a problem. I, it just doesn't make any sense to say I'm, you know, to say feminism can answer, which be, yeah, maybe, maybe my feminism uh, is that I um, feel empowered enough to wear whatever I want to wear. And for people to say, oh, you know, you're not following our culture. You don't even know me. You don't know what my like. I chose yeah. to be here in this country every single day and make a choice in favor of Indian culture and against Western culture. I am the big like. I, I mean, people don't know that I'm so progressive, yeah. and now I'm kind of afraid yeah. to say that I'm so progressive because, in a way, say like, it, it, yeah. But I am a very progressive person. I'm very, you know, anti-imperialism. I'm very anti-colonialism. I, and like, for people to be like, oh, you have colonized the indian bridal outfit like no maybe i've reclaimed you know a part of my multicultural my agency rhythm. my own space yeah yeah and there was this one comment that stood out
1: when you said to someone "Ki mera account public not yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i'm
2: saying is when you when you go out in public you're in a public forum right if i'm walking in the street that's me Opening myself up to the public—that doesn't mean I expect someone to come up to me and slap me, or <laughs> expect like just because you have the freedom to say something doesn't mean you should say it. You know, uh, with freedom of speech comes the responsibility to use that freedom in a meaningful way, and not to use it to belittle someone else for no reason. For people to be like, "Ha, huh, dress code, ota. How the hell do you know what the dress code was for my wedding? Like, how can you possibly know that?" You know. Yeah, there was a dress code. And if I'd worn a sabiya sachi lenga, it would have not met the dress code because, you know, my husband wore simple kurta. My mom didn't have one sequin on her suit. Like, it's not like it wasn't it just wasn't that scene. And so for people to be for people to say that somehow me wearing a massive whatever 10 kg lenga would have been more of a fit is wrong because that's untrue there were not a hundred people there to see my outfit. So why would I wear like some crazy 10 kg outfit that people could see from the rafters? You know, it doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, there were a lot of different genres, I will say, of commentary, attacking my desi Like someone was like, oh, this is not a Desi bride. And I was like, excuse me, but how? who gave you the right? Like, when did you become the keepers of our culture? Exactly. Who is to say what is cultural about it? You know what? I, in fact, would venture to say that if you look to, like, Vedic scripture, the only thing that it says about marriage is that it's supposed to be a haban and it's supposed to involve your family. Everything else that has come on top of that is actually, in a sense... Man, I feel it's extra, You know, I won't, like, kind of ruining that that whole vibe. Yeah. And when did when did your wedding at all become about your outfit? You know, like, your wedding should be about a commitment yeah honestly like this is what at the end of the day when all these like media outlets ask me about like oh like you know i'll treat this after that how did you get this person to be okay with it how did you get that person to be okay with it i'm like let's not lose stock of the fact that a marriage is not about my outfit a marriage is about me being able to make and honor a commitment to give my life to somebody else and to get that life in return everything else is secondary everything else is secondary I can't say that enough what I wore is secondary what matters to me and my husband is that we were able to be there with our family and make this bow to each other for the rest of our lives so you know yeah you can hate on my outfit but like it's just why are you bringing negativity to some to one aspect of my day that wasn't even the main aspect of the day like but I don't think ever for a second I felt bad about myself because I am a gift and I know that. And that is the main thing is women don't feel that way and are seeking that feeling by succumbing to the pressure of the world around them because they think it will give them that that like feeling of wholeness. And that doesn't come from outside. That comes from your feeling about yourself. And that's why I'm saying it's so important to have a supportive, loving circle around you because only then can you really get in touch with who you are as a person without you know, giving in to everyone else's expectations. And that's really, I think... Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's what's important, important yeah. is, like, feeling good about it. And I didn't feel bad about myself, but I can see myself being somebody else and maybe feeling really bad. And I can see myself being someone that may not have gotten that kind of hatred on social media, but maybe got that hatred, Dude, I, with my in-laws, you know, like, in your family, you know, your aunties talking like this. Even your parents. Honestly, in India, I... Like I'm saying, I'm very lucky to have a family that I have. A lot of families want to do things the traditional way, expect you to behave a certain way. And, you know, unfortunately, that's a reality that we can only, like I said, we can only change when we actually change the way families support women. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I want to quickly ask you something at this point, Sanjana. You know, all these um, media published articles about you, they picked out pictures from your wedding and posted really bizarre captions saying, "bright just langa. And and there was something in particular that caught my eye. Um, It it was something, if I'm not wrong, it was something like um, work from home norm seeps into... Yeah, in the
2: sun times. Yeah. The beacon of journalism in our country, where it said work from home culture seeps into... Zoom call culture seeps into weddings. I'm like... First of all, if you were wearing my tight trousers on your Zoom call, you are Zoom calling all wrong, honey, because <laughs> the whole point of a Zoom call is it's a top-up look, right? Like, I, it, just, it just does, you, honestly, kuch bhi in this country. People and do they in- even get your
0: consent before going ahead? Do they speak with you? Nope. And they posted your pictures as well.
2: No, I mean, I think... Unbelievable. So, so uh, yeah, so Scoop Loob asked for my consent. Um, but that was it. I didn't even know in like Times of India, I didn't know Hindustan Times and I would think that those are the outlets that have some respect for, you know, and like, I can understand like, I can understand like a Wed me Good or like a Wedding Wire or whatever because for them, they see a public post, it's public, they can repost it, it's fine and I, they do like tag me, they give credit to me but at the same time, like for, you know, like yeah, for India Times and for Hindustan Times, it's pretty crazy that you didn't reach out to me and say like, hey, we're writing this thing about you or, you know can we use your pictures I would have given them better pictures if they'd asked, maybe but like I'm just yeah it was pretty shocking to me that so many people were able were doing that without even asking my consent and then on top of that editorializing it by you know and enabling the trolls to be like yeah this girl favors like obviously when you say ditch the lenga la 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 people think that I favor hmm. you know western outfit over lenga which is just simply not the case dude I love I'm the biggest I mean And that's the thing, right? It's like, that's why I posted these comments on Instagram because the people who know me just found them hilarious because they're so not in line with who I am as a human being. Um, And who I am as an Indian, you know, as someone that's like quite proudly an Indian person. Well, not not quite proud to be a part of this current regime that is India, but I'm proud Hmm. to be Indian culturally. (laughs) Sadly, many people. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I don't know how people think that it's okay to use your image without consent or you know, at least reach out to me and be like, Can we have one quote? One quote. Yeah. You know?
0: But Correct. You know, this sort of shows the extent of entitlement that the media industry holds, especially when it comes to um, issues surrounding women, which unfortunately agrees with how the hegemonic culture treats or looks at um, women yeah. and how they pounce to the first chance that they get to tell a woman what to do with her own body or how to make her own choices. And I mean, it it's just so wrong. Yeah, it's very wrong. I feel like
1: this is sort of in line with what's happening right now. Like, for instance, we saw how Deepika, Shraddha, Sara all were, like, donning these, like, suits when they went to NCV. And, like, there was this entire internet, like, like, you know, laugh about, oh, this is Manish Manotra, Innocent Collection 2020 that has come out. And, like, how women are dressing in salwar suits or how they are, dressing in a certain way just to prove that innocent. they are innocent and like that of course always comes back to the bigger picture where they say that if you dress a certain way you are trying to prove a certain point way. right yeah, yeah. oh so, Sanjara now i want to ask you about this article in which you've been featured which is on basically work from home and you're talking about how you worked with colors of nature And how you're working on this series of
0: kaftans and everything. And I just want to know more about that now. And can you also quickly talk about your involvement with Ethical and Sustainable Fashion very quickly and then we'll wrap it up.
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, I actually, uh, when the lockdown started, um, started growing a lot of my own stuff on my, like my own produce on my uh, terrace. I have like a kitchen garden, you know, I have corn, I have cholai, I have all this kind of stuff. And I don't know why, but it also just got me generally really thinking about the environment. Of course, also with COVID, I was like, we're be- we're going to die basically as a species um, if we don't fix our stupid habits. So it started with really little things, you know, like I compost now, I use my kitchen garden, I try to reuse all my, you know, like little things. I think also being at home makes you realize the little things that are so wasteful. Like, so for example, like, um, my RO wastewater, water. Yeah. I realized that an RO on average wastes like 75% of the water. So for, so every day, every day, if your pipe is just hanging in your sink, you are probably losing for a house of two as we are, you're probably losing about wasting about 20 liters of water. Um, so I actually tested my water supply and I, and technically the PPM level of the tap water is low enough that I could actually drink it. Now, there's other stuff about, you know, there might be other things you should get like a UV filter and stuff. But the fact is that uh, according to the legal limits, this water is completely safe and drinkable. And I'm throwing 20 liters of it away <laughs> every single day. So I started, you know, I made a tank for my RO water. Now I use it to feed my upstairs uh, kitchen garden. So I just started thinking a lot more about sustainability. And like one of the things, that really matters to me in india is supply chain like we talked about and um obviously i'm i've always been into clothes and fashion so i wanted to actually create a line of sustainable products um which is also you know in and of itself such a good research project because you can really delve really deep into there's got to be a balance between consumerism and your, you know, you striving for ethical. Like, for example, one might say that creating a new product at all, creating, even if it's an organic product, is in a way not sustainable because you're doing something then that damages the environment still, right? So, I mean, yeah. a lot of lines to draw and it's been a pretty fun project. But so I'm um, soon launching a brand of, uh, Nike. it's actually not really coffins. it's more like Nike's which I love because I'm obsessed with 90s. And I was in lockdown, obviously trying to find 90s everywhere. And I couldn't find any that I really, really loved. And, you know, if you switch on the TV, if right, you right. look back, if I look back on my memories of my childhood, like, cast downs are great. And I mean, my line will include cast downs as well. But 90, 90s is the Indian homemaker's wardrobe. Like, any TV show you watch, if there's a woman in it that's, you know, a home, a house, a homemaker, then she's wearing a Nike and I find them really comfortable, and I'm always looking for good ones. So I worked with this uh, company called The Colors of Nature to help produce a line, um, and it's basically completely um, 100% organic cotton, and it's all 100% naturally hand dyed um, with with the so. The same. The reason why I chose the Color of is also is because they essentially use the water from, they take the dye, which is made from plants, they dye the, the product, and then the water, the wastewater, they treat it, and they actually use it to then feed their own plants. So they've created a really nice little circular model for themselves. And I love that, of course. Yeah, and they're great. And, um, you know, they work with a lot of local weavers and stuff to get that great organic cotton fabric. But yeah, I'm excited for it to come out not really talking about it as much yet because it's still very much in the works but yeah it should be coming out soon and it's gonna be super adorable and I mean again like you can I mean I wish it could be made to order but you know now we live somewhere between a made to order world and an Amazon Prime two-hour world you know what I mean so it has you have to find again some balance in the middle so for me I'm making them in really really small batches and it's a good way also to test the market and see if there is any traction there. Um, in addition to that, I also help them consult on certain projects where, you know, a lot of people in abroad, for example, do still use India as like a textile hub. So they will reach out to people and be like, you know, this is the end product we want. How can we make it more sustainable? So I'll help people try and figure that out and uh, connect them with the right people.
1: So Sanjana, and Line sounds really great, by the way. The question that I want to ask you here, though, is that from the sound of it, it would be an extremely expensive product, right? Because the organic cotton, as we know, is extremely expensive in yeah. itself. And the circular model that you just discussed yeah. Yeah. with us, it as it is customized and custom made only for their brand, I'm pretty sure it would add to the overall costs yeah. and then your own idea of how you want to pay everyone Their fair share. It's going to be an expensive product, and I mean, for something like a nighty, which is something you cannot even wear outside or show off. How would an average
2: consumer
1: spend such an exorbitant amount on something like a nighty? Or like, what do you think? Would you like to say to an average consumer? I mean, and that
2: was that was another big issue for us with pricing because initially, especially during the lockdown, the pricing that I was getting for fabric was insane, insane. I was like, there's no way that I can make an end product and send it to someone. I do not want to sell a ten thousand rupee nighty to anybody. You know, who is buying that? There is no market. Like my uh, a friend of mine just recently uh, launched uh, like a it's it's almost like kaftans, but they're a little bit more fancy, embroidered, and they come with pants. So it's kind of like a kurta. Love them. Hmm.
1: Love them. By the way. Exactly. Yeah. So.
2: I mean, that kind of stuff at that price point works because it's something you can wear out and something that you will probably wear out if you spend that much money on it in the first place. Um, But for me, it's definitely something that I want people to be able to keep for a long time and wear over and over again, but at home, you know? So yeah, it was very important for me to keep the price down as much as possible. It's not even that I would say necessarily that um, organic cotton farming or organic cotton production has to be way more expensive it just is and that's one of the things that I'm realizing is that systems are not in place for people to do this which is why I and that takes me to you know getting to my Instagram and kind of curating a space where it's not just about me and whatever it's about supporting brands that have taken the step to try and you know really backward integrate sustainability and ethical practices into their model what I'm finding a lot in India though is um, you know, there's this idea of greenwashing and all that kind of stuff where it's like, oh, a company tells you that it's, you know, sustainable and you just, it's not actually. But what I'm finding a lot in India is, and I think this is something that we absolutely have to keep talking about, is ethical. is not the same necessarily as sustainable. And if you are not paying every single person that works in your supply chain a fair wage, you are not a sustainable company. And in India... And in India, when you go to manufacturers and stuff like that, a lot of us don't, like, like even for me, like, it's easy for me to be like, oh, make me this product, give it to me, I'll market it, I'll sell it, you know? But the fact is, that's not how it Then I can't really claim to be anything because I don't have any control over my supply chain. And the supply chain is the problem. Like, I, you know, I think we need so much more attention on making sure that everyone is treated fairly in every step of the supply chain in India. And that's one of the things that will... Ultimately, also help people, you know, uplift people in this country because if they're doing hard work, they should be rewarded accordingly for it. And I think a lot of brands are now realizing, like especially a lot of small companies are now realizing that because they had to go in and you know do their own work when lockdown happened, and they ended up being without the the artisans that keep them afloat, really. So um yeah, so for me, that was really important. So I had to find, you know, make sure that every of the supply chain is, and I think that's what you have to do now to be to take it to that next level and I think also you know I think we have to talk about sustainability very specifically and not just use it as like an umbrella term for nothingness which is kind of what somehow some people use it and that pisses me off because then everyone's like oh we don't use the word sustainability but I'm like now you're just going to make me find a freaking synonym for this word for no reason like why don't we talk like sustainability has to be an umbrella term right, for something right. that's very holistic, right? So it has to be ethical, it has to be environmentally friendly, um, it has to have, you know, fair wage, it has to be transparent. And transparency is, in India, is so hard.
0: So hard. Mm, and yeah, right. people... Right, so um, like Shivangi just pointed out, then the few companies that do actually check all of these yeah. boxes... They, I mean their price points are extremely high exactly. um, because the cost of production is high, like you said, and having values and being a conscientious yeah. consumer really are something only the rich can afford to do, yeah, which is which is
2: and it's not really for everyone, which is also why I'm such a big proponent of uh, second hand clothing because I think right. because I think it's you know it's yes, you have to pay a little bit of a premium in order to get that sustainable product. But that's only because right now, not enough people are buying that sustainable product in order to get to the scale that you need to achieve in order to bring that price point down. So I think that's actually a huge issue that people overlook. In fact, the more you buy of something, the cheaper the price is going to get because they have to be able to make it on a larger scale, which means lower pricing. Hmm. So right now, for me, for example, for making like 20, you know, 90s is much more expensive for a Nike than making, let's say, 100 90s, right? But I don't I don't have that kind of scale. And most small businesses, especially sustainable ones, don't have that kind of scale. And when they do achieve that kind of scale, I hope that they do pass through their pricing benefits to their customers. Um, I mean, I hope to, but I don't. I, I can't really speak for everybody and where their price point stands and whether they're obviously more focused on their margin than I am. Um, but yeah, I think that's the issue. one of the issues is it's not a large, you know, where the system isn't in place. Like where making cheap organic cotton
0: isn't
2: a profitable is business, why yeah. would you engage in it? Hmm. And I love 29
1: It's quotes. a great way to shop. Yeah. So, uh, Sanjana, I want to ask you something about this philosophy and I want to understand this sort of transition because as you told us earlier, you had worked as a lawyer at Kirkland Ellis, which is one of the biggest <laughs> law firms in the world. And as a corporate lawyer, yeah. I'm sure you would earn exorbitantly. But as we know practically most lawyers are playing for the bad guys. And as we have so many listeners who are law students, I would want to know how did this transition come in play? Like, how did you become from one of the big bad wolf corporate lawyers to a person who is now advocating for rights and the sustainable model, which is ethical and takes care of every person in the chain, like your trying to pay a fair wage to everyone involved Yeah, and I just want to understand about this transition um, I this guess Mona.
2: I will not say anything negative about Kirkland mm-hmm. not just because of our NDA no I'm just kidding <laughs> um, I will not say anything negative about Kirkland because I really felt like they made a huge effort I mean I work for Kirkland San Francisco also which is like known as the hippie office but they really do encourage you to not lose track of who you are and To their amazing credit, they have a lot of good women leaders. And that makes a huge difference because women tend to, like, sorry, my dogs are barking away in the background. Um, Yeah, I can hear that. Just give me one second, yeah. So I think at Kirkland, one of the biggest things that I learned was how important it is to have women in leadership roles because it did not feel like your cookie-cutter big law experience to me because I had women pushing me to do pro bono work of course pushing me to still do my billable hours and stuff pushing me to do pro bono work pushing me ahead being like you know what stay on this track I got you I will like do everything that I can in order to uplift you and I think that's wonderful and what I learned from that is that you need to have people that are invested in in you know for Kirkland I'm a part of their supply chain they the women there I'm not going to say anything about I mean the men weren't bad but for for there was a partner there called um Samantha who really you know got in there you know and with women and did everything she could to lift them up and I think it's really important in fact because um I was listening to a lecture recently about how um basically women in America at, at an average law firm women in America are paid uh, 76 percent of what men are paid right if you have one female member of your compensation committee female partner in your on your compensation committee that jumps to like 84 percent if you have two it jumps to like 89 percent if you have three then it jumps to almost 100 percent because you need to have you need to have people enough women for them to like take you seriously
0: and not dismiss you it as women's issues exactly I think at this point this conversation basically
1: reminds me of the feminist care ethic because here you are as a person who is trying to be conscious of everyone who's working for you and with you on this line which is why you want to pay them their fair share which is a very good and a conscious and a sustainable way to sort of grow your business and idea which basically is what the feminist care ethic says that you are conscious of the people who are contributing and you are conscious of all the stakeholders and I mean in this situation you are conscious of everyone especially the people who are at the bottom of the food chain which is not generally what people do or go for because according to the feminist care ethic people just in general or like men in general would take care of things like abstract principles like morals and fairness but they would not think about emotions or the real people involved but i mean you're doing it here so that's wonderful
2: yeah so i will say so to go back to the question that you asked i will say this feminist ethic of care was very much put into practice in my law firm which really made me think if they can do it in a super corporate, corporate, like pretty much the highest echelon of corporate that you can get, if they can do it there, then we should all be able to do it no matter what we do. And initially when I moved back here, I was working with my uh, my family, set up a company that does like, you know, uh, basically health education. So we have a TV channel on Tata um, in addition to other stuff. But, you know, I was working with them and I it made me really... I've always so I mean yes I ended up at Kirkland but I started my journey as a law student doing international human rights law working for the UN working with you know real like real life human rights cases it's just that I ended up at Kirkland I don't know by like you know it's like when you get that job you're supposed to say yes yeah you know I get it. and like <laughs> yeah. you can always and I did and I told I I was very clear with them that I was like you know I know I'm coming here to do work but this is important to me. Pro bono is important to me. You know, ethics is very important to me. Women in leadership roles is very important to me. But and an uncompromising values that we hold, I mean, that we can't let go of exactly. And I think, and, I, and you know, they really appreciated me for all of my, you know, and I was vocal about a lot of things that other people maybe didn't say. But yeah, I think being able to accept that, you know, feminist ethic of care is really important for women, especially women that have been, sort of molded by this corporate culture, which is why I think it's so commendable for a woman like a Samantha in at Kirkland to be this way is because she could easily have said, you know what, the way to get ahead is clearly to be ruthless, aggressive, to be basically to adopt the male ethical, you know, framework. And Yeah, I just I'm very grateful that she didn't ever do that and that she that, you know, you she helped me realize that you can still be a super caring person. You can still be exactly who you are and as emotional as you are and use that actually to uplift other people like you. So, you know, even as something as small as my bridal outfit, maybe I'm not informed by maybe I didn't do it to make a statement, but I am overwhelmingly like touched by people being like, Oh, wow, inspirational, you inspired something in me because people just want to see other people like themselves in good positions in life, you know? So, right,
0: like, right, right.
2: if if someone can see themselves in me, that's great. I hope that then they can do everything that they feel, you know, they wanted to do in their whole life. So, yeah. Um, I guess then moving to India and starting my own thing, it just was kind of a no-brainer that I would want to make sure that I'm uplifting people and not just taking from them without giving back, I guess. Wow,
0: that was beautiful. Thank you so much, Sanjana. I mean, um, lots to unpack. (laughs) This entire conversation was so inspiring and empowering all at the same time. So much to reflect upon and learn from and amongst other things, I'm super glad we have this conversation on what goes into um, making an ethical and sustainable product because a lot of companies um, are claiming to do that off late. But, um, you know, people don't really understand the consequences of uh, conscious consumerism. And I hope this is really the dawn of um, something in India and people start investing and purchasing in more of such products. Um, Shivangi and I are rooting for you. (laughs) And this was swell like you know when you said like the last part when
1: you're just like I would love it when I'm inspiring people as someone who's like studying law at one of the most privileged universities comes from a very comfortable background who wants to work in the corporate America I think this is something I would want to strive for and uh, I mean
0: this was just beautiful it was jolly really great thank you so much Thank yeah, you. yeah so thank you so much for doing what you do Shibangi and I had a great time hosting you thank you guys so much thank
2: you for having me and thinking of me you're so sweet
0: Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Okay, bye.
0: If you like this episode and want to listen more of such episodes or want to learn something about who we are and what we do, please check out our website, which is www.theaudacityproject.net. Or you can also check out our Instagram handle, which is at project. Until next time, see you. Bye-bye.